0: This is Aliens and Artists, part one of our conversation with Samantha Mowat. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Samantha is a clairvoyant, sentient, cognizant, audient, and precognitive. Her first contact experience included an entity singing to her in a non-human art form to calm her out of a highly traumatizing experience after her twin brother died.
1: For me, my contact actually started happening in a different way than it does for most people. I was born a twin, and when I was born, my twin brother made the choice to not be of assistance of like in this lifetime working alongside with me. He agreed that he would actually be working with me on craft. So what I mean when I say that is when I was coming into the body for this incarnation, I agreed that I would have certain psychic ability traits and that I would be having him as a support system. However, he decided that he was not going to be coming into the body with me because he didn't actually want to handle the vibration of being back down here again. And because of being exposed to death as my first stage in life, it actually gave me a better ability to see interdimensionally and to work with the other side or on the other side of the veil, depending upon your point of reference and point of understanding. And how this has actually been really beneficial for me is even as a very small person from the time I was little, like babyhood, toddlerhood, childhood, you may wonder, well, how can you have memories from babyhood? You can ask a lot of your angels and guides to bring back your memories, things you've suppressed. That's a very easy thing for humans to do. But um, because I call him Danny. And so what Danny made the choice to do is he would get different beings to come work with me. And he has been a constant figure with me throughout this life. But when I was this tiny little baby, I was only, um, only a few weeks old, and my mother was suffering from, of course, postpartum depression because she had lost a baby. She didn't know she had twins. She had a lot of guilt about that, a lot of really intense emotional energy, and I, being this wonderful, stubborn little baby, was very mad at him. I was furious with Danny for making the choice not to incarnate alongside with me. I felt like he tricked me. I felt like um, he kind of got me to come down here and do all the hard work and he'd have an easier time on craft. And so I was yelling a lot. I was screaming. I was one of those really temperamental babies. And so my poor mother, when my dad went to work one day, she had had enough of this crying and this screaming. And so she put me down in the center of the bed. And at that age, I couldn't roll over. I couldn't fall off the bed. There's no risk of that. I was much too little. And she closed the bedroom door, I went into the living room, and she cried. And what's really interesting is what I found a lot of small children can do is they can bi-locate and project quite easily. So you can do either astral projection, which is where you leave the body in more of a conscious capacity. And your consciousness kind of leaves, but you still have an awareness of the body which is also part of what biolocation does is it puts you in two places. But what I ended up doing was I was astral projecting in part so I could see my mother in a different room, see her crying, see her um, trying to light a cigarette and just trying to calm her nerves because she was just so overwhelmed and um, motherhood was not quite what she was expecting. And so, because I was such a temperamental little one, I was screaming, my lungs hurt because I didn't like how the smoke was in the air. I didn't like how the air quality was bad. I felt abandoned and I was sending out these waves of energy out of me that was in a form of like frustration and anger. And some of the beings that I worked with, a group of Andromedans, and they came to come see me. So how I ended up realizing this was happening was while my consciousness was partially in my body, partially out of my body, I was shown almost like this partially invisible outline of a being that's coming into my space. And what that looks like is if you've ever seen something like heat rising off of the road in the distance, how it has like that slight shimmery essence to it, how it's going back and forth. The image that is on the other side of the heat wave looks as though it's partially moving, has almost like a... Mm -hmm not quite mirage aspect anyways this being came into my space and it was not quite visible to the outer eye so for if my mom were to walk into the room even though it came in near the door she may not necessarily see it because this being was doing what I call cloaking which is what a lot of people um, know as being partially invisible so what he ended up doing was this being came closer to me it leaned over my little body and it started sending me loving energy, healing energy. It put a finger onto my little chest, one, possibly two fingers. I can't remember which. Right at a, between my breasts, sending this energy through its body into my little chest to help take away the burning sensation, to help ease the anger and frustration that I was feeling. And as it was doing this, it was singing to me in a dialect or a language that my soul recognized. And when we're talking about the artistic aspect of multidimensionals and extraterrestrials, and especially with this podcast, you're looking at how some of these beings have a fascination or an interest in the art aspect. I view singing as a form of artistic expression. And what this being was doing is it was singing to me in its own language on a telepathic level. But when you're having telepathic exchanges with these beings, it's almost as though you're hearing it audibly. When in actuality, someone could walk into the room and unless they're more telepathically inclined, they're not going to hear the being giving me um, this beautiful song as a gift. And while it was doing this, it got me to stop crying. My little face went from being beat red. I went to that, like, <laughs> kind of crying that babies do. <laughs> and it was actually quite sweet. And he reminded me that I wasn't going to be alone. Everything was going to be all right. I would have support in this lifetime and things would be easier, which I think is quite wonderful. And that was my first exposure in this lifetime to having these beings coming through, especially in a more physical capacity. And as my childhood really started to grow and develop, I was one of those children that had an invisible friend, not realizing that what I was seeing was a being on an interdimensional spectrum. When most people think of children's invisible friends, uh, they think about kids who see dead people. And in part that is accurate because I was seeing my dead brother, but I was seeing him in his hybrid form. The body that he had chose to go into on a soul level, like his soul occupying a body on craft, he was showing me that body, which was a boy that looked very similar to me. He had red hair, these really big dark eyes. His eyes were more of like that almond type shape, which were really cute. And I thought he's just like a bit funny looking, but I didn't really think much of it. He's always been about the same height and size as me. And one thing that I've talked to some people about is the fact that when I was going to kindergarten and I was sitting in this room, he came to school with me. And while we're doing circle time, I remember looking around the room at the different letters that they have to teach kids like uppercase A, lowercase A, all the way through to Z. And I was looking at the letters with him when I got to the letter D. I felt a vibrational resonance where it felt like I was going to be a doctor of some sort in this lifetime. And when I asked him about it, because he and I had a lot of telepathic communication going back and forth, he said, well, you're going to do healing, but you're not going to be a doctor. That's not quite right. And so I was going through the rest of the letters that were up there. And there was one that looked like it was um, W for which. And I pointed to that one like, oh, I really resonate with this one too. He's like, that's very similar to what you're going to be doing. That's a close, almost like point of reference to what you'll be doing. Not realizing that was the closest representation with those letters that were present to indicate psychic. And so even though I would be going to school and having my hybrid brother showing up to me and seeing him clairvoyantly, as physically as I was seeing the other children and the other adults that were in the room, I didn't realize when I was really little that other people at first didn't see him. And so what that ended up doing for me was it made it so I just kind of, I would try to talk to people about what I was seeing and what I was experiencing, but people didn't quite understand. And I thought that I kind of looked, I remember at one point I looked at my mother and was really confused why she kept calling him my invisible friend. Here's this little boy that I could see standing right beside me. My younger sister could not see him. And I was confused as to why that was, but children have this beautiful way of disregarding what doesn't make sense to them. And I'm really glad that I did that. When I was going through my childhood, um, I had quite a few periods where I would be going through the window or I would be um, going up through the ceiling. And I had a lot of encounters in particular with the greys because the greys have been hybridizing my family for at least five generations that I'm aware of. Um, One of my earliest memories that was happening around this time around kindergarten grade one, that kind of age was I would be going, um, laying my bed at night and I would wake up and I would feel almost like a shift in the vibrational frequency around me. And, of course, being a cute inquisitive little child, I would look around and be like, okay, where's that coming from? Why why does everything feel different? Why is the house silent? Why am I not hearing um, my parents snoring or my sister's gentle breathing beside me because we shared a room at that time? And I remember this one time I put my little hands on the window, and all of a sudden my head, like my little head, my little hands are going through the window. And there's a gray extraterrestrial that's in a crouched frog-like position um, holding onto the side of the building outside. And as I'm coming through, this being and I end up making eye contact and everything starts to go black. And I didn't really think a lot of stuff like that back then. Um, I didn't realize it was contact. To me, it was just a part of life. As was going through things like waking up in the middle of the night and seeing um, people standing at the end of my bed. I think that because of my, the way my psychic abilities worked with having death being present around me um, at my time of I think it helped me to have a better ability to see through the veil and to really work on more of a clairvoyant level with a lot of these beings. If we fast forward a few years and really go forward to the next part, um my sister and my parents and I ended up moving across the country a few times. And when we came back out to the West coast, my sister and I had a lot of periods of missing time. We would be, my mom would send us outside to go play for the day and we'd walk out to the woods or down to the beach. And before next thing we know, oh, it's nighttime. It's starting to get dark. We have to go home for dinner. And my mom would ask us, Hey, what were you guys doing today? And we had no recollection of what had happened or what was going on. And So what I've come to realize with a lot of stuff like that happening is when you're contacting, you can have entire sections of days that are missing, especially if you're going out where there's no one around you, because you have more physical contact occurring at that time. And so when I was looking at my contact as a teen, like as a um, elementary school student going to a middle school student, it kind of started to shift again. It went from um, in elementary school, a lot of sleepwalking, a lot of waking up in strange rooms in my house, whether it's in the, middle of the living room and not knowing why I was standing there or standing outside on our porch, facing the field that was behind our house or with my hand on the door handle. It was actually a little unsettling, I know, for me when I was little because I didn't quite know why I was waking up in these places and as I look back on it now with a greater sense of understanding and knowledge about contact and how it occurs I come to realize okay these are just periods where I was sleepwalking to go out onto craft and so if we move ahead and towards my um, teenagehood I started to recognize fairly early that I was going to be going through the hybrid program this one night my parents were watching um uh, it was almost like a television show that was something similar to X-Files is probably the best way to put it And I had not seen movies that had extraterrestrials really in them up until that point. I didn't have the awareness really that that was around because I was, I was little, I was more interested in the Disney princesses and Fantasia stuff like that than these sci-fi shows. Mm -hmm. And so when I was watching, um, I came out because I couldn't sleep one night because I felt like there was this weird energy around me. I went to go cuddle my parents on the couch. And as I was looking at this program, um, there's a woman being interviewed by two people who were investigators and they were asking her about the disappearance of her pregnancy and about her babies. And something inside me on a soul level told me um, when I heard this woman say, the, the, she said the aliens took her baby. And something on a soul level once again recognized that this is something that I'd be going through. There was that inner knowing that I'd be going through the hybridization program. And so when I started to go through the early aspects of genetic manipulation and the prepping my body for hybridization that came in my early teens going into my early 20s, um, I started to realize, especially as I would find myself waking up in the middle of the night, to feeling that familiar sensation of a craft being above our home or right near our home. At this point in my teens, we lived on a 50-acre farm, seven miles up a dirt road, outside of a small town, with our nearest neighbor being a couple kilometers away at an airport at that. So we have literally had no one around us. And so I would literally wake up in the night sometimes, and I would find myself um, either waking up to white light streaming into the home, and a being standing in the doorway and me walking out of the sliding glass door, or sometimes it'd be open, sometimes it wouldn't, but I'd find myself walking along our dam that separated our water wheel from our pond that we had and walking out to a craft with a being taking me to go somewhere else. That was really common for me back then. As was uh, having really weird things happen, like going into the house. Like one time my mom, my sister and I were, I think we were like taking nails out of boards because we were getting stuff ready to reuse some wood to fix part of the barn. And I remember um, I went to the house to go change shirts or something like that because what I was wearing was just too warm. It was like a really warm, like spring, summery day, that kind of weather. And I felt this really weird energy on the other side of the window when I was in my bedroom. And it was one of those long rectangular windows. I remembered when I ended up looking through this window, um, I crawled up onto my sister's top bunk and I'm looking out and I see this small, gray extraterrestrial being that's holding a device in his hand. And he's probably like maybe five feet away from me at best looking at the wall where I am. And as I'm looking down at this being, he turns his head slowly, looks up at me. And as he and I end up making eye contact, I remember everything in my vision starts to go black from the outside coming in. I had a lot of really weird encounters like that. And when then the next thing I know, I'll be walking back to go see my mother and my sister and they ask, why didn't you change shirts? I'm like, I don't know. And I'd forget the encounter and only to have stuff like that come forward months later to years later, coming back sometimes as dreams, sometimes coming back in my meditation, sometimes coming back and I'm talking to my guides about experiences and saying, hey, can you help me better understand this situation or that situation? Mm. Things like that are pretty common for contactees where we don't always remember the encounter right as it's unfolding. I was also very fortunate because around the time I started to hit being um, a teenager, I started to go to school on craft. And what that means is it can be done either astrally or physically. In my case, it was a combination of both, and mine was typically done with palladiums. And so one thing that I would often find myself in is a very small group, sometimes ranging from three to four people, sometimes ranging up to 10 or 12, really depending upon what we're doing on the occasion. I'd have one-on-one instruction, but that wasn't as frequent. And when you're going to school and craft, um, it has more diffused lighting. There wasn't really any sharp edges in the room. It felt like it was like very um, gentle atmosphere. It almost felt like you know when you walk into a spa, how it feels so instantly relaxing and calming. It had that kind of vibrational resonance to it. And as I'm in this space, I remember I would often see the same other children that were always within a year or two of my age, and we'd be doing the same activity together these beings would be showing us um, various energies. They work their way through the different colors over the course of many months of, okay, when you see, look, this is energy. This is the kind of things that it can do. Great, let's learn about the colors. This is what the various tones of red mean. This is what orange means, all the way through the rainbow and the different frequencies. And then they would show the combinations of the colors and how those interacted and how they interconnect with one another. So a bright cherry red mix of like almost like a blood red mixing with like a deep brown that looks like it's kind of coarse and st- like very dense and scratched up and indicate some that has tra- like trauma in that part of the body. Whereas like we would have to look at the colors in conjunction with one another, not only seeing the colors, but feeling the vibratory resonance. And they really started to teach us how to recognize things on a clairvoyant level, both with your third eye as well as your physical eyes. And to recognize the incoming intuitive knowledge, so your claircognizance, which is your download of information about something, and your empathic ability, your ability to discern the information um, and how it feels. So showing that conjunction, that combination of psychic abilities being put together to really understand energy. And that is the one thing that I learned um, most strongly from Pleiadians as I was growing up is how to better understand energy and the correlation with it at the time i didn't realize that i was that these even were palladiums i thought they were just my spirit guides or my angels i thought oh okay they're just really nice beings that i work with i wasn't aware that there were humanoid um extraterrestrial multi-dimensional beings at that time because that wasn't something that i had learned about from my parents it wasn't something that i learned about in the books that i had read When I was a little girl, I was recognizing that I had contact and um, I would see UFOs and hear stories about stuff like that and really understand um, that I was someone who had seen these things before. It wasn't an odd thing in our family. If we end up seeing something, we could talk to our parents about it. And so I was that really odd girl in grade four who decided for my show and tell that I was going to bring a couple of mysteries of the unknown books that my parents had ones about Wiccan witchcraft, um, UFOs and psychic. (laughs) I know, right? Like I'm so lucky I didn't get beat up when I look back on it, (laughs) you know? And so anyways, I was that child who had really had that strong inner knowing that these are things that were interconnected to my life. And my parents always made it a very safe space that we could talk to them about what was going on, which is really quite nice.
0: Can I pause us here for a moment? Before we get too far along the timeline of your life, some questions have arisen. And if you don't mind, I'd like to go back and ask you a handful of questions about these early events in your life. So, to begin with, the fact that your twin brother's death was one of the first fulcrums in your early development. So hard, so heavy. There's the trauma from that. There's your mother's postpartum depression. The question I have is around the out of body experience you described while laying on the bed as your mother was pacing the house trying to calm herself down you relate leaving your body being able to observe your mother in other parts of the house what is the distinction between astral projection by location and dissociation because there are other categories of people who go through trauma and have out of body type experiences. They're not contactees or abductees, but they leave their body during traumatic events, during near-death experiences. So how do we know which is which? How did you know then? How do you know now what the difference is between experiencing a dissociative state versus the astral body, the etheric body, or an OBE, etc.?
1: Yeah, of course, I can give you the best of my understanding. Um, One thing I should have mentioned at the beginning of this interview, Stuart, is everything that I'm telling you is based upon my knowledge, my understanding, and my point of awareness based upon where I am and my current evolutionary point with my psychic abilities and my contact. Of course, we always get more information over time, but one thing that I've come to learn is because I've had multiple incarnations where I've been dealing with psychic abilities, being everything from um, an oracle to a shaman to being a witch to being a psychic to a lot of things in correlation to this. I've carried forward a lot of past life knowledge. Absolutely, everyone does have past life recognition and many of you are starting to have your um, past life knowledge coming forward. But even when I was very small, um, as a small child, I recognized a lot of what I was doing and how it differentiated from others. For instance, when you are doing astral projection, you can do astral projection from one of two ways. The first of which is you put yourself into a deep meditative state and you consciously step out of your body. The other which is when you go to sleep at night and the body goes into a state of rest, the soul steps away from the body. There's still an etheric cord connecting your soul to the body, which makes it harder for anything to jump into the body at least easily. And that is part of why we have dreams from lucid dreaming to astral projection at night. And that's also where some people have astral encounters, which means when your soul, like for instance, I would lay in bed at night, I would close my eyes, and then my soul would come out of my body. And as my soul goes out of my body, sometimes I'll have ETs come to see me on an astral form and take me onto to craft that way, or open up a portal beside me and teleport me to being where they are, things of that nature. Whereas by location is when you're able to be in two locations at once with your consciousness. As you know, our consciousness is much more complex than what we truly understand. And so when I was very little, and I was, having, um, I was having a lot of really weird experiences, so when you're seeing yourself in two places at once, your soul can see what is going on out of your eyes and what is happening in that moment in the room around you, you can still look around and turn, but when your consciousness is bi-locating, not your physical form, you're able to do something very similar to remote viewing, where you're actually able to view another location, another room. another city, another town, another planet, doesn't really matter um, with your consciousness. And it's almost like there's a split screen that occurs in the mind where one side of your consciousness is viewing one thing and the other side of your consciousness is viewing the other. And that's actually how a lot of clairvoyance works, especially third eye clairvoyance. Um, What People need to understand with clairvoyance is it is a bit more complicated than what people think. A lot of um, psychics uh, that are clairvoyantly focused will actually get most of their information from their third eye, and for beginner psychics they tend to have their eyes closed most of the time, unless it's something really distracting or they want more clear detail. Whereas people that are more accustomed to working with their clairvoyance, they can have their eyes open, looking around, interacting with other people, and still receive visual downloads of information while their eyes are open. And so what I was doing at that time was my eyes were open and i was yelling and crying in this room as a screaming little baby and part of my consciousness was moving into the direction of my mother very similar to a form of bilocation rather than astral projection because if i was astral projecting i wouldn't have the strong awareness of the being coming into the room with me Mm. singing to me touching me and so that's part of where the distinction is in place in regards to disassociation Um, I want for you to further explain what you mean by disassociating, because when I perceive the word disassociating, I think people that are just shutting down their consciousness, people that go through things like MKUltra, some my labs do it quite often.
0: Sure. Well, we hear of this, for instance, with rape victims. And my apologies if it's tough for listeners, but I think it's important to discuss because We see this in the lives of countless experiencers, abductees, contactees. There's often a lot of trauma in the childhoods. Now, people who experience rape will report their consciousness is projected up into a corner of the room or that they leave their bodies so they do not have to directly endure the worst of the violence and trauma. When I refer to dissociation as distinct from astral travel, I'm trying to dial in the differences between coping mechanisms for sexual or violent trauma versus astral travel, by location, remote viewing, out of body experiences, or etheric body events. And I wonder sometimes when you're working with people, if you find they've experienced trauma, not contact. How do you know the difference between out-of-body experiences, which are coping mechanisms of trauma, versus other events when consciousness moves beyond the body as a function of contact or abduction? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so let me explain this properly. Um, When I have a client coming to me, and they are someone who, like, if they typically, if they've gone through rape, their guides, if it's something that person has to deal with at this time to process, release, and let go, um, normally it'll end up showing up in the auric body. So it can show up as something like um, bleeding out of the root chakra, whether it's in the front or the back, because of course that would be um, forceful vaginal or anal pe- penetration. Um, normally their heart chakra will end up having a diminished energy around it, indicating shutting off or walling off the heart chakra. And so normally I'll see like bleeding red coming out of the root area towards the pelvic region, the hips. and normally when I'm talking to their guides beforehand, um, I will ask their guides. So as before you and I end up reading, I end up um, asking your guides an our before I was talking to them, meditating, saying, hey, what's the important stuff this person needs to know? And quite often, if someone has to at this time deal with healing and releasing of the energy related to um, rape, whether it's my M culture victims or it's people that are my labs or even just um, wonderful, normal people who've gone through horrible experiences like that. Then I end up and normally having their guides end up talking to me about it and what they need to be doing, how they can better deal with that situation. And sometimes I'll see it and the guides are like, this has happened to them, but they can't handle this right now. Don't talk. Mm. Some people um, think of it this way. If you're dealing with a client who is um, going through the awakening process, who is dealing with a lot of the emotional after effects of rape from their childhood, but they're unaware that these are patterns that happened to them when they were little, and they're trying to get to the point of it, but they're not at a state with their energy where they're emotionally balanced enough to learn that they've been sexually assaulted by someone. You bringing that to the surface and having them become aware of it can actually put them into a further state of depression, anxiety, and not able to handle things. And so quite often the guides will be like, okay, this has happened to them, but we're not going to be really mentioning this at this time. It's my job to respect what their guides are saying. But one thing I have noticed is a lot of contactees and abductees, myelabs and MKUltras, do have disassociative type tendencies where you could be talking to them. And especially if you're having like a really in-depth, long conversation, it's like their mind kind of switches to being somewhere else where they just kind of like project out of the room. It's normally because there's a trigger involved, whether it's a verbal trigger or a visual trigger, things of that nature. But um, I find that's very common with them. Whereas when it comes to people that aren't going through the programs and the contact aspect, they seem to handle things a bit Differently. So if you look at how contactees handle things and abductees, um, they will actually tend to be more, uh, have a lot more psychic energy around them that tends to allow them to, on one level or another, remember part of what happened to them. They may be like, I remember, I know I've been sexually abused at some point, although I can't quite pinpoint where, because there's that aspect of their consciousness saying, hey, we're going to start to bring you that memory, that awareness back. Whereas other people who aren't quite going through the awakening process as strongly yet won't have that same. Understanding and inner knowing. Do you see Uh what I mean?
0: I think I do. Correct me if I'm off. So, you are basically relying upon your ability to read a person's auric field. In doing so, it becomes apparent to you which injuries or issues have an origin in straight up trauma. And then the guides or protecting presences around the client will indicate to what degree, if any, the client is ready to do work on this deep trauma. If it's too soon and would increase injury, then the work is prevented until there's a time that it can be done. If work can be done, then you move forward with it in that session. It is somewhat reminiscent of transpersonal hypnotherapy in which we rely upon the deepest registers of the person to determine what healing and integration can safely take place in a session. If it would be unhelpful or re-traumatizing, the person's own deepest register prevents it. It governs the pace and depth which suits their own highest and deepest good. Does that concord as a summary?
1: Yes, I would say that actually beautifully describes it kind of funny you say that because a lot of people that I've ended up talking to who I've given readings to who actually need to um better remember a lot of the abuse that they've gone through either in this incarnation or previous um will get directed to do hypnotherapy done on them like regressions to help them really understand where a lot of these blocks come from they the guides aren't always willing to let me be the one to be like hey look you were sexually assaulted at the age of six it was by this family member in the season at this place they won't always let me be the one to do that in some cases they will but not always Sometimes hmm. they want for the person to realize, okay, you're an empath. You have these energetic uh, facets that need to be healed, and your guides are saying you need to focus on early childhood regression because they're saying that's important for you at this time. So see how there's that redirection.
0: Yeah, thank you for discussing some of the edgier components, these tougher aspects of contact that often aren't teased apart deeply enough to benefit experiencers in an optimal way. So I appreciate getting your perspective. I'd like to circle back to your first contact experience in which the being sang that song to you. In the frame of aliens and artists, this is a seminal moment. A non-human entity, although granted one with an anthropomorphic countenance, arrived and sang to you in its native language, in air quotes. What I would call, I guess, an intergalactic lullaby which soothed and improved your conditions. This is a seminal moment because we're finally crossing the threshold in terms of what this particular show is about. Why are non-human entities so desirous of contact with human artists? Artists find their creativity profoundly impacted by contact, but what we don't know much of at all is, what are the art forms of these entities? Why don't we have more exposure to them? Here, in your experience, this entity used its native art form to engage and alleviate your condition. Did you understand the language of the song? What was the melody like? Uh, Was the musical form distinct from human musical forms? What more can be unpacked about this very unique artistic moment? (laughs)
1: okay I'll try to get all that out Um, one thing that I noticed about this is the vibrational frequency that this being was emitting it doesn't sound like human earth words so it wasn't having a Google Translate of um, Mary had a little lamb it was nothing like that it was more so it was done almost in a melodious or sound type frequency very similar to having music but the music vibrations had their own understanding of words connected to them one thing I've found a lot of the extraterrestrials and multidimensionals, they speak to us telepathically because the audio frequency of their voices and ours don't do a direct translate. If I were to try to speak to a grade just using our words, we would not understand each other well because we emit totally different sounds of their communication, just like the same of you talking to your dog or cat. They may be able to understand you, but you may not be able to understand them. And so when it was singing me this song, I knew on a soul level what the words were. It was in relation to love, family connection. It felt like it was really heart based. It felt as it felt as connected to me. It felt like it really touched an inner part of my being a song that I knew like from a thousand years. It felt like something I really understood on a deep innermost level. Mm -hmm. So when this being was doing this with me, um, it didn't have direct words that translated across. But I do want to touch upon one thing because it's on my mind and I don't want to forget it. Um, You were talking about the various beings having an interest in art and artists. And yes, we don't really get to learn theirs as much. We're starting to, because we're starting to be better prepared to understand their art. But part of the reason why they have a heavy level of connection with people who are more artistically connected and inclined is those people naturally retain a better connection to their psychic abilities. Most of these beings are very psychically focused, be it claircognizance, empathic, telepathic, clairvoyant, you name it. That is all related to the same side of the brain that the creative expression is located on in humans. So, of course, those humans have a better ability to tap in, retain the information without it being as heavily programmed. One thing I have found is when I go up onto craft and I'm seeing my hybrid children and I will be sometimes sitting on the floor with them, very excited. And one of my dearest friends, um, actually, I was looking at one of his experiences a while ago and I've had something similar happen. That's why I'm bringing it up is you can find yourself sitting on the floor and you'll be having your hybrid children around you. And they will be asking you to tell them stories because they have a fascination with, um, art and stories and things related to earth culture because they have their own of course and i was projecting images out of my mind into the space above very similar to what i had the Pleiadians doing um with myself and the other students when we were younger showing the different stories from things oh my goodness i think one of the ones i end up telling them was um the disney story of the princess and the frogs i thought mm-hmm. it was a very cute story and i know that sounds ridiculous like why would you show that to your hybrids why don't you show them something more meaningful but they have a fascination with the creative expression as well that's one thing that they actually really like about humanity is how we can be very creatively expressive we have such a diverse level of understanding because we have such an interesting combination of dna and the way that these dna's are interacting with each other create different levels of creativity points of understanding and awareness And so when I look at on the flip side and look at the extraterrestrial um, expression of creativity, I am not very good at drawing to save my life. I'm really not. I've gotten better over the years. But when I will sit down to try to draw out a being, it comes out looking like a very rough sketch at best. But if I sit down and ask the being who I had contact with to partially come into my body to give me downloads of information about what I saw and what they look like and things related to the encounter. It goes from being a very um, almost like sad looking sketch to being a very well done sketch in the same length of time because they naturally are more able to project into us in that manner, and they do have an appreciation of art. When I ended up meeting one of my favorite hybrid beings on craft several years ago now, I believe it was like five-ish years ago, Um, I noticed that she collected human things. She had a deck of playing cards. She had a couple books. She um, was looking for an oak desk. She had a desk, and she loved the craftsmanship of the human things that she had, because she had a portrait of her, her body that was comprised of human DNA. Mm. And she showed a fascination with the way in which the carving was done to this desk. She loved the way the old school playing cards looked, not just the, the paper, um, the card being slightly shiny, but how the images were done she loved the way the binding of the books are comprised. And when you look at these beings, you start to understand them on more of a complex level, you realize that quite a few of them actually do have an appreciation for the artistic aspect. One thing I've found in particular with Palladian beings is a lot of their energy and the type of craftsmanship that they do in regards to architecture is concerned does seem to be more harmoniously based. You won't notice as many direct square cut lines like we have here where if you look in the room you're in, you will see a 1,001 square squares. squares and rectangles and angles. With theirs, it seems like a lot of the things have more of like a gentle curvature to them, be it on their crafts or in their homes.
0: So for them, right angles don't carry the architectural currency, which they do here.
1: I agree. It's very black and white here. Not a lot of creative expression that way.
0: Because I'm a songwriter, I'm really interested in this song the non-human entity performed for you. (laughs) So permit me a little more exploration. Would it be accurate to say this alien song was not like a human song, in which we have lyrics over music, typical structures of verse, chorus, bridge, etc.? We know these musical forms just as we know sentence structure or the norms of city planning, etc. Each human medium has its patterns. Are you describing then that in this non human song, The melody and music intrinsically had the meaning braided into them, non-verbally. So while there were signifiers and reference evoked, they weren't structured as conventional lyrics and music. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, I would say it's actually a highly accurate way of describing it. I do apologize for my dogs. I just had two packages dropped off by a mail courier. I
0: love dogs. This is a pro-dog show.
1: Oh, that's good. Um, I actually agree with you because there wasn't direct word-for-word expression like a lot of our music was containing. This song felt like it was being done on multiple vibrational levels as though although there were not direct words, there were energetic impressions and images that I remember being sent into my little body that showed me that space, that showed me that interconnection of planets and myself and the beings that i have a connection to on a soul level not only in previous incarnations but that would be assisting me in this one showing the greater level of connection between it all and when this being was doing this i remember seeing these little almost like sparks of energy ta- like coming out of the finger flowing out of the finger going into my body which you may wonder okay well what does energy look like well energy actually looks like liquid light um, when you describe liquid light to someone, it's almost as though there's a million tiny little sparkles of sunlight that are cascading through a liquid form, rather than the air form that we typically see it with. It's like if you were to throw um, a lot of glitter into a, into like more of a thicker liquid substance, like a clear glue, it can look like that cascading down and coming into someone. And it was within that energy itself that I feel the healing vibrational frequency is contained within. I am so sorry. I don't know why the carrier isn't just leaving a package. <laughs> um, so when I'm looking at this and looking at the way the being was uh, trans made this into me, I've actually found that when I see some of my hybrid children, um, quite a few times I will be picking them up and I will be singing to them sometimes songs that I know on a soul level that aren't earth human. I don't think it's light language necessarily. I think it's more so related to their ET dialect because you'll find when you go up onto craft, sometimes you won't stay in the same body that you're in. Sometimes you'll go and have it a different body. And you may wonder, okay, well, how is that possible? Are you shape-shifting? Are you going into like a clone? What's happening? And it really depends. I have seen myself shape-shift into different forms before when I'm on craft. I have seen myself step out of this body, go into other bodies. So it really does depend upon which group is abducting me. But the reason why I'm bringing this component up, Stuart, is when I've had some of my hybrid children come into my home and me see them, it's quite common for me to pick them up and rock them back and forth, and to sing them some of the same songs that I sing to my children. And they seem to enjoy that just Mm. as immensely as the human children. So to me that shows a great um, passion or interest on their level for song, for creativity, for that deep vibrational resonance that comes with the connection. Go ahead.
0: Well, it evokes music as a universal language, one of the easiest ways to facilitate mutuality and intimacy among disparate beings. We experience it among ourselves as humans, and it makes sense that it would extend to other sentient beings. I appreciate you going into detail on that. I'd like to look at your relationship with your sister, if you're okay with it. You describe moving across the country, having shared experiences of missing time with her. Does she speak about this publicly? Do you have conversations about these experiences with her? And do your recollections of those missing time events line up today? Is she public? And if so, what does she share?
1: Well, she's actually a really beautiful soul in a lot of ways. Um, When my sister and I actually sit down, because we live quite far apart from one another, but when we're able to actually sit down and talk about things um, together, we are able to discuss any of our experiences that have happened. And one thing I find kind of funny is we both recognize that we've had quite a few periods of missing time and weird things that have happened in our childhood. A lot of it does line up with each other, which is nice. Um, She is going through the awakening process as well, which has been grateful, like I'm so grateful for it because it makes my life so much easier having a family member that I can call and talk to be like, hey, I'm having this going on, dealing with really bad PTSD or I'm super stressed out over this happening or whatever is going on. And she's been a really beautiful source of support. She is not out in the public in the same way I am. She doesn't have a YouTube channel, speak at UFO conferences, writing books on it, any of that. Um, Her energy and focus, what's interesting is she is a lot more artistically inclined than I am. And she is the one who is actually better able to draw, paint, things of that nature. And that's part of how um, her connection towards her soul and her contact is better related. She's actually someone that was going to have draw out some of my experiences because she is much better at drawing than I am because i feel with her place of connection especially sharing a lot of the same um hybridized dna because our bloodline is has been hybridized for a very long time um i do feel she'd be able to better tap into that inner knowledge and inner knowing and so that's part of what i've really liked about it but when we look at her being out in the public no she's not that point she might be in the future but that's completely her call but one thing i find really funny is um with the people that she and i ended up growing up with because we did move around the country but we tend to keep going back to the same couple of locations over and over um there's a couple of kids that we end up going to middle school with and high school with that she's still in touch with and she's actually had some contact experiences with these people and i find it really funny because when people think about contact they think of it being very isolating and in a lot of ways, it can be, especially depending upon where you live in the world. But we were very fortunate enough to grow up on Vancouver Island for a lot of our childhood. And it's actually a very open place there. It's um, it's not uncommon for people to have. Like, I remember with various places I've worked at or um, even would visit friends. And people will talk about extraterrestrial experiences, Bigfoot sightings, fairies. Things of that nature is actually more common if you start talking to islanders about things that they've experienced that are odd or paranormal. A lot of them have experiences that they're willing to share with you because it's not as much of a stigma culture. Um, It's very open and free, and I think it has to do with the vibrational frequency there. So I'm sorry for going off on a bit of a tangent, but I think a piece of interconnected.
0: No, no worries. It actually pertains to one of the questions I have in mind, which is... What was the most effective and helpful for you as a child going through these stretches of time where you feel confused, disoriented, a deep sense of vertigo? I mean, it's already tough enough to be a kid in normal circumstances, right? Earth is one of the great boxing rings of the cosmos, I would assert. Mm-hmm. So, and on top of that, add anomalous, even transrational experiences. What helped you move through these difficulties as a kid and make sense of it all, so to speak?
1: Well, I actually had a lot of things that helped me. Um, When... I was little my parents were really wonderful i could talk to them about a lot of what was going on i could sit down and talk to them about um things we saw on tv whether it was things like star trek and my parents were like yep there's different types of beings out there these 10 kind of things are real which helped to normalize it for me so i didn't have a stigma around it um like i talked about with the mysteries of the unknown books my parents would read those to me because that's what i was fascinated in was trying to understand the things that i was experiencing and seeing I also I was very fortunate because my parents didn't allow for me to um, obsess over things and dwell It's a yeah, okay, you, something, you had a bad dream last night or you think this happened, that's fine, but you're still going to clean up the chicken coop or you still have to go do your chores. Things so of that actually helped me to better process and not be obsessively focused on. I don't know about you, but I've met some contactees who they'll have one or two experiences and they'll be fairly intense all things considered i guess you could say and they will obsess about them for the rest of their life to the point that they kind of go way down the rabbit hole and lose touch with reality which i don't think is healthy
0: so you had this double goodness in your family where on the one hand you didn't obsess about these experiences but on the other hand it was never stigmatized is that accurate
1: that is completely accurate with my mom especially cuz she lived in the middle of nowhere um it was pretty common. Like we would, we would go for bike rides up the and road, go further up, go check out the trails, go gold panning, stuff like that, go in the middle of nowhere. And we would end up seeing things like UFOs or weird lights in the forest. Or I'm like, mom, I feel like there's someone outside. I feel like they're watching us. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. It's just ETs are just aliens. That's completely normal around here. And so it was her response towards those type of things that made So I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. If you're acting like it's okay and you're my parent and you're okay with it, that means I'm okay with it. So even though it was something that for most families would be a source of fear, anxiety, stress, in my situation, it wasn't. But when I was in the fifth grade, a member of my class, um, him and his siblings were all murdered by their father. And it was at that time that my the reason I bring this up was I started journaling at that age because we had a therapist come into our class and get all the kids to start a journal in school. And I kept journals from about the fifth grade up until now. Unfortunately, I don't have my journals from grade five through about the age of 18 because someone took them and got rid of them on me, but I was that really weird child that would actually record um, every weird event I had, um, things that I saw in my dreams.
0: Who took them? Why did that happen?
1: I don't know. I went forest firefighting for the second year right after I graduated high school, and I came home and boxes of my clothes were missing, um, my journals were missing, a lot of my stuff was missing, and I asked my... I asked various members of my family and everyone denies that they had any part of it. They have no idea when it happened. I'm like, well, I left this stuff here because I was planning on going to university at the time. And everyone denies having, any- I honestly don't know what happened to it.
0: Did you make inquiries to your guides, allies, and non-human intelligence as to where these things went and what could be done about it?
1: No, but that's actually a really good idea. So I should.
0: Yeah. I mean, that seems like a vile transgression.
1: That's actually, sometimes it's the most obvious thing to do that escapes their mind. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable.
0: I get it. As a person who's spent their life missing things in front of my face, I can empathize with that gap. Yeah. So let's talk about neighborhoods, dimensional, spiritual, the neighborhoods of various realms. We know you've had contact with greys. Mantids, reptilians, light beings, Andromedans, Pleiadians, we can make a very long list. In terms of neighborhoods, can you help us understand what the home turf is for these respective beings? Do they run into each other? Are the dead encountering greys? Are the fae working alongside mantids? Are these neighborhoods separate, distant, adjacent, contiguous?
1: So you're wanting to know which beings are interacting with which beings in correlation to their dimensional frequencies and which ones are overlapping, interconnection, ones that I've seen having contact with each other. And if so, under what circumstances, things of that nature.
0: Exactly. And also, where are these neighborhoods? Another planet? Another dimension? Where and what is the figurative landscape?
1: (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Well, what's kind of funny is I want for you and your listeners to all think of the um, beings we consider to be extraterrestrial and think of most of them as actually being multidimensional. And I want you to think of the dimensions that are going on being similar to a very thick novel that's in front of you and you turn that novel onto its side. And each page represents a vibrational frequency. Now, typically, humans are able to interact with a couple dimensional frequencies below us and above us, things that are close in range. And so when we're looking at the beings that are predominantly interacting with the majority of humans, so we have things like fairies and Sasquatch, we have things like... um, Some of the lower vibrational Pleiadians that are in the fourth and fifth density, which are very close in vibrational frequency to ours. Same with a lot of the reptilians. um, Those are beings that are all kind of overlapping off the top of my head. Same with the manta, mantis, manta, or Mm. mantid. pardon me. Those are all closer in vibrational frequency to us, as are most of our hybrids. Whereas these beings, you can see in a number of encounters that are interconnecting with each other, I haven't seen, to the best of my recollection offhand, greys and planes in the same space. However, I have seen greys and light beings or angelic beings be on craft at the same time, which tells me that some of the highest vibrational beings that we're able to perceive from our universe and the universe that like, we're within the vibrational spectrum of. So meaning not just the one that has the Milky Way, but you know how um, there's roughly... Uh, almost like the universe actually goes in spirals and it keeps going up higher and higher and lower and lower. And each one's like a slight octave off from the next. But what I want for you to understand why I'm bringing this up is in this one encounter that I had um, quite a long time ago, I think it was 2014 maybe 2013, somewhere in there. Um, A dear client of mine, really wonderful woman had been sexually abused when she was a child for many, many years. Her root chakra was bleeding out. Um, She actually was developing, she had developed liver problems and was in liver failure. Um, She had her heart chakra being quickly closed off. And when I was giving her Reiki healing one time, um, I had these three grays that actually popped up into my third eye right away. And what's funny is sometimes when you're having information come to your third eye, it can be like all of a sudden the movies playing in your head, and you're like, Why the heck is this happening? And these grays were trying to get in touch with her, saying, Hey, look, we'd like to help heal you. We'd like to help fix you. Long story short, I asked for permission um, on her end to let them help give her healing energy. And within a week or so of that, I found myself going up onto craft in one evening after I'd gone to bed. I believe this was a physical encounter because of some of the things that happened. And as I was on craft, I was with this um, one being that walked me into a room. There appeared to be a few gray extraterrestrials in the room as this woman laid upon a large crystal bed. Um, it looked very similar to a rose quartz, which which tells me that the grays are using the vibrational frequency found within crystals, as well as light to help reestablish the... Um, better balance within the various levels of the etheric and energy body as well as the physical body and there was an angelic being that was present there now when many of your listeners hear angel they're going to think of these beautiful um, elegant long skinny people with long hair and long beautiful wings and that's never have actually seen the angelic beings rather i want you to think of a being that is comprised of light that is made from um, a million tiny stars being comprised of pure energy very similar to source consciousness and when this being was actually working around this woman it actually made it so she was better able to um she started to get better her healing started to actually really take place it rebalanced a lot of the things that were wrong in her body and helped her body to actually be able to heal past the point of her liver shutting down and so when we're looking at the correlation between a lot of these beings who are interconnecting with each other I have seen um, reptilians and greys in the same place. That's quite normal. Um, I have seen what looks like hybrids with almost every type of group, which is fine. I've seen lyrans and greys in the same place. Um, The reptilians are a bit more complicated that way. So I see them more commonly with humans and then I see them with other ETs. I have seen reptilians and platines in the same space. That was one of my um, really strong memories that came forward about how I came to be on this planet. But not all reptilians are bad. Some are quite lovely, but this group unfortunately wasn't very nice towards us and did end up eating them. But that's just, that's just one group. I mean, eating them. Yes.
0: Can you say more about that? I mean, did you witness? Did you witness them being consumed or what happened?
1: So when you had sent me questions earlier, you wanted to talk a bit about past lives. Yeah. One thing I've done um, for a very long time since I was in my late teens is I've been trying to have as many of my past life memories come to the surface. I started having them coming when I was a little girl and I want to really get a better idea. of If you know where you've been, you can have a really good idea of where you're going. And even though time and space doesn't exist the way we're taught it does, um, I knew it would help me to have a better understanding of my soul's capabilities the more I recognized and understood my past lives. And so I asked my guides, could you please help me to understand why I'm on this planet? I hate being here. I feel alone. The people don't understand me. Um, I'm able to help them immensely, but I'm not able to really feel that strong sense of soul connection. And so my guides end up bringing one of my memories for me. Um, they end up showing me an image of a craft that looks like it was comprised of mostly light. It looked like it had other components to it as well. And then the next thing that I end up seeing, because it was done into like, you know, when you're watching something like a movie and it's cut into fragments where it's showing key scenes with each part. Mm-hmm. So I knew I could see the craft looking like it had been hit. It was falling into the earth. I saw it landing in South America. Um, I saw it going deep into the ground and it finally stopped within a cave. As the dust finally settled, I saw this um, almost like this hazy or smoky essence towards the top section of the roof of the cave. I saw these humans that were within this cave that were earth humans. They appeared to be Latina in appearance and they look like they're in a catatonic or dazed state. I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. Why are they like that here? And as myself and several of the people who end up coming out of the craft with me, I looked at us and we were not in clothing for expedition. We were not in clothing for um, any form of interacting with a different planet. And I looked at myself, I'm wearing this longer dress that has like a whitey type essence to it. Um, it looked like it covered most of my body. My hair ended up being quite long down to about my bra level or my waist. The other woman that I was with, her hair was between her shoulder and her bra length right in there. The men all had shorter hair that was more straight that went to about their shoulder. And I've seen that very commonly with Pleiadians. Almost all of them do have longer hair. I don't think I've ever met any that do have short hair based on my experiences. And what I looked at is we were not the typical clothing that i've seen platings in most of the time which told me that we were not meant to be coming down onto the planet and what had happened was i knew that several of the people that we had traveled with were dead inside this craft but that we must end up leaving this cave and as we're walking about um we're trying we notice at the other end of the cave they're intuitive because the planes are very intuitive they're very um, claircognizantly focused, very empathically focused, very clairvoyant, um, we knew that in order to get out, we had to go through this way and get up to get to the surface. That way we could be rescued and saved. And we knew that our ship had been, um, someone had locked onto us and sent something to it that actually knocked us down. And we ended up realizing right away that there were, um, these green reptilians in the cave with us. And it's absolutely terrifying to be hunted by these beings. It felt like a game of cat and mouse. where they're coming around us and tormenting us as we're working our way through the cave. And one of the men that we were with, he was in a slightly dazed state. Um, I can remember him having his feet grouched from under him and pulled away from us. And it's weird seeing like the smoky entrails because I think it had something to do with the energy coming out of our craft. Um, I, it almost seemed like there was a mixture between the energy creating like steam in the air because it looked like it was thick, almost like very cloudy, like fog like, but not quite. And it was really hard because I remember seeing one by one of people in my party getting picked off. And I remember um, the last thing I remember is having my own feet grabbed from under me and knowing that I was about to be eaten. Now, not all reptilians are like that. Some reptilians actually are very love-based. Some are downright wonderful. And one thing I have found with the other reptilians on the other side of that is there are reptilians that are actually working in the benefit of humanity um i have noticed that some of the hybrid type beings that are working with reptilians are working them on working with us on more of an educational capacity they're trying to make us more aware of our capabilities they're trying to make us more um awakened to what's happening here on this planet so i have found myself on craft on in school with them quite a bit as well sharing information helping us to better understand to reprogram me from a lot of the fear energy that i had around their species as a whole when you have memories coming forward like things like that it can be very traumatizing for someone so one thing that i have found in relation to the whole looking at these beings as they're pairing together i have noticed elementals like the fairies being present with greys before so when you're looking at the greys, the greys are very close in vibrational frequency to a lot of the elemental kingdom, elementals and greys, um, are in a similar vibration to us. I would say between us and a little bit higher, depending upon the human, of course, and what this ends up meaning is that they're more connected to the earth energies, to the planetary energies. They're very plant based in a lot of ways as are the fae or the fairy kingdom, the elementals. And that's part of why the two seem to have a lot of overlapping. I have noticed that they work very hand-in-hand. I've had encounters where I've seen greys and fairies in the same encounter. To me, that means that they're both comfortable with each other, not necessarily working together, but they have a lot of overlap. Do you see the distinction?
0: Yeah, I want to ask more about this. Following on from that, we've touched on some of the dark, heavy stuff that is included in contact. A big question that comes up around experiencers is sovereignty. I've written about it. I won't go into that now. I'll just put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to read that post on human sovereignty. But it's about the sovereignty of each individuated soul. How does an experiencer, A, resolve the traumatic dark experiences with our spiritual sovereignty? It seems like a lot of sovereignty has been transgressed. uh, So how do we protect it? And part B, what are the strategies or tools which you recommend for cultivating such protections? Can you speak to these issues?
1: Of course. Um, there's a few things that you need to realize with any of these beings. Is There's not a single being in this universe that is worth more than you or worth less than you. We really are all created equal. And so just because something has a greater place of understanding in regards to its knowledge, its technological capabilities, its psychic capabilities, its um, length of life, um, health, beauty, intelligence, really doesn't matter. We are all honestly created equal. And when you're dealing with these beings, I've noticed that there seems to be this really interesting perception where quite a few people either demonize the extraterrestrials and the multidimensionals, or they look at them as being very similar to gods and being flawless. Um, Opinions, from my place of awareness, are highly toxic. I think it's just as toxic to look at the Pleiadians and think they're all love and light and all only have the best involved reverend and i think that's equally as toxic to not see how there's bad things within their culture and their society um and i want to bring this up in relation to sovereignty because people when they think Platon, they think oh they're love, they're light they'd never hurt a flight they'd never hurt anybody not realizing that in order to survive against the draconis reptilians you have to be capable of protecting yourself on an energetic capacity and a war capacity as well and people forget that and because they're still on a very similar vibrational frequency Pladians are divided into two groups from what I've noticed. I've encountered very high dimensional Pladians that appear to have almost like a bluey type essence to their soul. It seems that they're closer to a light body than a physical body. And I've encountered Pladians that are very similar to us with much better, um, almost like genetic symmetry. Where their genes are more healthy, their bodies have better symmetry, um, they've got more balanced hormones, things of that nature, higher cognitive capabilities and psychic capabilities. Whereas when we look at the other aspect where people are demonizing the extraterrestrials and multidimensionals, that's also placing yourself in a place of victimhood. And that is one thing that I've been doing my best with over the last several years is to make sure that I do not idolize any one group nor demonize any one group because I have found that there's actually a very broad bandwidth um, in place here. And when we're talking about sovereignty, when you come out things from the understanding that I am no better or worse than anybody else, you start to see yourself on a level footing with them. And by simply shifting that perception within yourself, where I am an equal to you, you will regard them and the way in which you interact with these beings in a completely different manner. And that is one thing that I have done with my children, is I've taught them, yes, you are going to have encounters with everything from... Reptilians to light beings to platians to angelic beings to you name it. We've talked about it, and they've encountered quite a bit. But I've also explained to them that if you're having a being trying to do something to you, like let's say um, with my kids, they've woken up with weird bruises on their body or injection marks or things like that, and I'm like, do you remember this happening? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, I remember what was happening. I'm like, well, did you say anything? They're like, no. I'm like, well, did you ask them why they were doing it? And they're like, no. I'm like, so why don't you ask them? Why don't you tell them you're remembering? Why don't you tell them if you don't want this? I don't want you doing this really is having a voice for yourself and getting that habit of standing up for yourself. I've had encounters where I have freaked out at beings because um, they want to switch out the person I was hybridizing the most with. Because I've had some people that I love breeding with who I make very beautiful, happy, healthy hybrids with. And other people, um, in one of my encounters a couple of years ago, I was on craft and I was asked to change out of what I was wearing. Because sometimes you will um, go up on the craft and you'll be doing your pajamas and they will for sanitation reasons and everything else they will actually take you out of the clothes you're wearing especially you're doing things like breeding for hybridization and they will put your clothes um, off to the side somewhere and then you will either be naked or you'll be um, sanitized and asked to have something else put on and so I was walking across a craft in one room and I saw a man that I've been bred with before one who actually um, created a sense of fear and anxiety with me because I knew he was sorry for the TMI, but more aggressive when it came to the breeding aspect. And I really didn't enjoy that. So I told the being, I don't want to be walking near him. I want to be in a different room. I don't want to be near this man. And so this variety of um, gray, I believe it was, was very compliant with that. She took me out of this room and took me to a different one. And so quite often when you're actually willing to say to the beings what it is you want, what you need, you are establishing a sense of sovereignty. I've also gotten very mad at other beings who have projected images to me of various family members, friends, being like, I know you're not my aunt. Stop pretending you are. Stop Mm. showing me this face. I know you're lying to me. And because you're establishing that sense of understanding that, hey, I realize that this is not you. You're standing up for yourself. You're saying, do not lie to me. That is very important in the establishment of your sovereignty as well. Whereas, on the other hand, when I encounter beings that I feel a sense of loving connection with, I have no problem hugging them. And if I don't want for them to touch me, I have no problem saying that. You do have to get in the habit of standing up for yourself in your day-to-day life if you're going to establish sovereignty within your contact. Now, it will not always be abided. They will not always listen to you and respect you. But that is a start. next thing you could do to better establish a sense of sovereignty within your connection is to actually gain control over your energetic body so what i mean when i say that is the more you meditate the more you start to recognize the energetic channels that are going up and down your body gain control of your ability to move energy from one part of your body to another and out of your body the more you're going to be able to protect yourself whether it's on this dimension or in different ones. I've had multiple physical and astral encounters where I've encountered beings who weren't necessarily um, treating me with what I thought was respect. And I have sent bursts of energy out of myself, thrown balls of energy at them. And you may think, well, Samantha, that sounds very sci-fi. That doesn't make sense. How the heck are you able to do this? And it's simple energetic manipulation that anyone can learn how to do. We've all been near people who we felt like our energy body um, was being drained by. People who are like exhausting and draining, those people are sucking energy out of you. You can feel it. Or you've been near people that have given you, like kind of rubbed you the wrong way. You're like, oh, it gives me the creeps to be by that person. You get that like weird energetic shiver. That's your vibrational frequency recognizing an incompatibility of your auric field with someone else's. And so when you take that to the next level, which is then recognizing your own auric field and being able to move your auric energy around, you're able to take parts of your aura and push beings away from you. Um, the first time I ended up consciously knowing that I was meeting a reptilian, granted I have kind of learn that was undoubtedly not the first time, but it's what I had thought was the first time for a long time. Um, I end up taking energy and connecting to source and pushing source energy out and away from me to get this being out of my space.
0: Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Samantha Mowat. Born in 1874, Amy Lowell was, by any fair estimation, a badass. She wrote and published over 650 poems. She was ostentatious, opinionated, Although born into a prominent family, she smoked cigars and went lesbian in a century when there was nary a Melissa Etheridge or Katie Lang to be found. And almost a century before Ridley Scott's Alien, Amy Lowell wrote the poem Aliens, which goes like this. Aliens. The chatter of little people breaks on my purpose. Like the water drops, which slowly wear the rocks to powder. And while I laugh, my spirit crumbles at their teasing touch. The Oxford English Dictionary places the earliest known usage of the word alien as an adjective, meaning intelligent life from another world, to have been in July of 1929 by Jack Williamson in Science Wonder Stories in his piece, the alien intelligence. So we can be pretty sure Amy Lowell was not speaking of extraterrestrial biological entities. But it's fun to reread now, like a poetic upart. Viewed as an otic meteor impacting in another century, it's not hard to imagine her poem adding a chapter to Strieber's communion or forming the bridge in a Radiohead song. Amy Lowell won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1926, a year after her death. Kind of a dick move, Pulitzer. Hi, Stuart Davis here. If you like the podcast, or if you hate the podcast, the only reasonable response is to become a patron because counterintuition feels wrong. And that's how we know it's working. You're taking action. If you like it, you ensure its continuation. If you don't, you can send me a personal message making suggestions. As an artist, I take those suggestions and personally turn them into a collage. I put that collage in a time capsule, and one day, maybe our children's children will open it and find themselves utterly unable to make sense of the creative amalgamation of feedback, so randomly repatterned. Just go to stuartdavis.com, click on the Patreon button, and put a dollar sign on your strong emotions. Thank you for your support or opposition. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse, offering one-on-one work with me, Stuart Davis. Sessions focus on creativity, spirituality, anomalous experiences, and transpersonal hypnotherapy. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session, or check the show notes. It's an interesting there isn't one.
2: Is it too soon? Is it too soon? To pop a cap in its ass. To pop a cap in its ass. The pumpkin will grin, the compassion kicks in. To pop a cap. Is it so hard? Is it so hard to put a kiss on its lips? To put a kiss on its lips? Blow it out in the space where it is erased behind a crack in your face